CNN. Radio. Believe it or not, and I know that most people do not, violence has declined over long stretches of time, and today we may be living in the most peaceable era in our species' existence. That quote almost seems implausible in light of the massacre at the Sandy Hook Elementary School. It was written by our guest today on CNN Profiles, who just last year published a remarkable 832-page survey of the history and psychology of human violence. His book has the uplifting title, The Better Angels of Our Nature, Why Violence Has Declined. I'm your host, Michael Shoulder. Our guest is Harvard psychology professor Steve Pinker. Steve, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I want to start with a question that my daughter asked me five years ago. She was nine years old at the time, and she, there was, she got wind of a massacre of children in Finland. And I can read you the headline from that day on November 7th. Seven children and a principal were killed when an 18-year-old student opened fire at a school here hours after he posted a video on YouTube foreshadowing the massacre. My daughter was in art class a few days later, and you know how in art class they'll spread newspaper on the tables to protect the tables. And she hadn't heard about the story, but she saw in the corner of that table, in a little box in one of the newspapers, the story about this Finland massacre, the type of story we try to protect our children from. And after thinking about it for a while, she asked me this question. Dad, if the world were a movie, what would it be rated? <laughs> oh, dear. Yes, well, to, uh, if, uh, if it was the world as a whole, including the worst bits, then it would be uh, uh, rated X. On the other hand, there isn't just one thing called the world. There are uh, some nasty corners. There are some uh, ugly parts. But the world as a whole is a big place. And uh, you get a misleading impression if you identify the world with the uh, worst corners of the world. So how do you answer that question for a child? I mean, this was a massacre that happened uh, five years ago, 2007. How would you answer that question for a child? Well, most of the world is rated G. Uh, the vast majority of people live their lives. They, they, they grow up. They get married. They bring up children. Uh, they die of disease. And uh, that, that's the fate of the vast, vast majority of people on Earth today. Now, we get a misleading impression from the news because the news is about the worst things that can happen. Something bad happens. We send a reporter there. That's what we see on TV. That's what we see on our computer screens. Uh, what we don't see are all the people dying of old age, all the cities that uh, aren't having wars or terrorist attacks, because you don't send a CNN reporter to a, a South American city that is not at war or an African city. You never see a cameraman at the foot of a bed of, of a man who's uh, uh, dying in his uh, late 80s of uh, Alzheimer's disease, because that's not news. So we get a misleading impression. It's partly because that's what news is, and it's also uh, because of the way the human mind works. We estimate risk by vivid examples that we can recall. And uh, if we read of a shooting, if we read of a, uh, of a mugging, we assume that that must be a very dangerous place. Uh, what we ought to do rationally is look at the 
statistics because the statistics also tell you about all the people who walk through that park or live in that city and don't get mugged or, or, or raped or attacked. Uh, but that's a, a hard lesson to learn. That's why we have education to tell people trust the data, not uh, your, your, your memories, your imaginations. But uh, left to our own devices, that's what we do and we get a misleading impression of how dangerous the world is. And so you have, you know, in your 800-page book, which was about 1,400 pages on my iPad, and, and I combed through a lot of it last night. It was riveting. And you have really done uh, an incredible survey of the history of violence in the world combined with your study of the human mind. And so tell me, you have come to a pretty optimistic conclusion, which is sort of heartening to hear at this moment in time, and it's, it's not Pollyannish? Oh, not at all. Uh, I, we're uh, less violent than we used to be. That doesn't mean that there's no violence. It doesn't mean that it couldn't get worse. But it does give us something to uh, appreciate, be grateful for, and try to understand. So we don't have slave auctions anymore. We don't burn heretics at the stake. Uh, we don't execute people for shoplifting or counterfeiting. We don't have to constantly worry that the tribe over the next hill will uh, surprise us one morning, massacre the men, kill the children, abduct the women as, uh, as wives. Uh, we are far safer on the, the roads and highways than our medieval ancestors were. We don't have to worry about uh, highwaymen leaping out of the, the bushes and, and uh, stabbing us. Uh, if you look at the numbers, it, despite the fact that violence uh, occurs, uh, there's no doubt that rates of violence haven't gone down to zero, but they're, they're way, way down. Even wars, which really rivet our attention, change the course of history, have become far fewer in number and far less destructive than they used to be. Since the end of World War II, which was one last enormous spasm of uh, horrific violence. But uh, after that, history seems to have changed in, in, in one important regard, which is that big, rich, powerful countries don't fight each other anymore. There are still wars. They, there, are a lot, there are civil wars. There are wars involving uh, uh, some poorer and less developed countries. But we shouldn't take for granted the fact that France and Germany aren't going to go to war. For, for thousands of years, they were constantly at each other's throats, or England and France, or, or Germany and Poland, or Russia and Poland. Those kinds of wars have vanished. And even the smaller but un, undoubtedly nasty wars in South Asia, in Africa, in Latin America, they have become less frequent and they kill f uh, far fewer people. So on the, clearly on the macro level... We have a lot to be thankful for, but as, as you alluded to in, in the first part of your answer, at the micro level, depending on what neighborhood and sometimes even what street you live on, uh, a parent sending his or her child off is more or less worried, depending on where they live. And I guess you know, my question for you is, uh, this phenomenon of, of killing lots of children at one time, which we keep on getting you know, year after year, is... Is that something different or new or just more continuity, and it's actually happening less than it used to? Well, uh, mass murder, that is someone killing more than four people in uh, one outburst, uh, has a lot of ups and downs, but it, pro it has not increased since the 1920s. There's some decades that have a few more, some have a few less. Probably there, there might be a slight uptick in the kind of um, rampage suicide murder of the kind that we read about in Newtown uh, recently. 
even then, it's not clear whether we're seeing a uh, a real uptick or just a cluster of events that are uh, that, that are more or less distributed at random. Because you got to remember, random events will occur in clusters just by sheer chance. So we don't really know that the the fact that there have been several of them in the year 2012 represents a trend or just a, a very unlucky year. The first guest we ever interviewed on the show a few months ago, an author named Ed Falco, who wrote the prequel to The Godfather, Mario Puzo's Godfather. And it's a very violent book. And I asked him about what I called his violent imagination. He said, oh, yes, he has a very violent imagination. And fortunately, he can let it all out in literature. Uh, You are an expert in the human mind. Are we born with violent imaginations? Um, uh, to varying degrees, yes. Uh, a majority of people, when asked, uh, have you ever fantasized about killing someone, uh, will say yes, uh, at least once, sometimes a lot more than once. The thing is that it's we don't uh, act on our imaginations. We have uh, you know, thousands of fantasies that we will never act on in a, in a million years. Because we also have parts of the brain that decide which fantasies to act on, that uh, inhibit impulses that allow us to count to 10 and uh, anticipate the consequences of what we might do. And we can think the better of uh, various urges and temptations uh, that we get. So, yes, we do have violent um, impulses, particularly in the the world of the imagination, but also parts of the brain that uh, prevent us from acting on them. And so you said we have also factors that control those impulses. Now, one, one of the subjects that's going to be discussed a lot uh, alongside the gun control debate is our popular culture. And really, as a parent, you know, you, your children cannot avoid the images of violence anymore, whether it's in video games or movies or on TV. When you least expect it, you cannot keep your finger on that power button quick enough. Uh, and so the question is, do we have fewer constraints on the violent imagination given today's popular culture, or are there just more opportunities to sort of trigger that violent imagination and lead it to action? Well, there are more. The the images are more vivid. There, uh, we've got you know megapixels and uh, color and motion. But uh, you know, when I when I grew up in the, uh, in the in the 1960s, I saw an awful lot of Native Americans being killed by uh, cowboys on uh, on the black and white TV screen. Um, there were an awful lot of detective and war shows and uh, cops and robbers shows. Uh, the taste for violent entertainment goes back for as long as there have been humans. But is there a correlation between that and the amount of violence there is? Is there any evidence one way or the other? Um, there is a correlation in the sense that uh, uh, people who commit violence like to uh, consume violent entertainment, but there's no evidence for a causal relationship. And in fact, the decades in which violent video games uh, exploded in popularity are exactly the decades in which the real-life violent crime rate plunged. Uh, between 1992 and the early 2000s, the American rate of homicide, assault, rape, uh, other kinds of violent crime fell by more than half. So at least if we look at the, the timeline, uh, it's very hard to blame video games for uh, an increase in violence, given that there was a decrease in violence. Hmm. We're speaking with Professor Steven Pinker here on CNN Profiles, uh, who has, has written a book. Tell, t- tell us uh, your book's full name and... How, why you wrote it, and whether any of it surprised you. 
The book is called The Better Angels of Our Nature, a lovely phrase from Abraham Lincoln, and uh, it refers to the parts of human nature that control our violent impulses. I don't believe there's a meaningful answer to the question, are we basically violent or are we basically peaceable? Uh, the human brain is a big place, lots of stuff going on in there, lots of uh, different subsystems and components and modules and circuits. Uh, and some of them, I think, really do tempt us toward violence, but others inhibit us from violence. Those are the better angels of our nature. And as a uh, psychologist, I'm interested in what makes us tick, about all the different parts and gizmos and, and circuits uh, are in the human brain that push and pull us in, in various ways. And uh, I think that's it's that psychological approach that's needed to explain a major development over the course of history captured in the book's subtitle, namely, Why Violence Has Declined. A um, First of all, a surprising subtitle because most people are shocked to learn that violence has declined. I spend a good part of Better Angels trying to persuade people that it has declined, mainly with graphs and statistics, but also with uh, what scientists call sanity checks. That is, if you don't know if your, your data might be fooling you, you want some examples from uh, real life. Give me an example of where you thought, this is too good to be true, I'm, I'm being fooled by my own data, and then it turns out, no, I'm not. Give, give me an example. Well, um, I have a, an extended discussion of the, uh, the Old Testament to confirm the, some of the statistics that suggest that um, ancient societies had far higher rates of death in warfare on a per capita basis than even the world wars of the 20th century. If you read the Old Testament, God commands the Israelites to commit genocide over and over again. Usually it's slay all the men, women, and children. Occasionally God says, well, if you see, kill all the men, kill all the children, um, the women who are already married or older, uh, kill them too. But if you see a really, you know, a hot babe, a, a woman who appeals to you, then kidnap her as a, uh, a wife or a sex slave. Uh, now, those are the parts of the Bible they don't teach you in Sunday school. But we know from even the parts they do teach you in Sunday school that uh, you know, brother, uh, a brother can sell, sell another brother into slavery, that Moses can uh, slaughter 3,000 of his people just because they worshipped a golden calf. Uh, anyway, there's just one incident of horrific bloodshed after another in the so-called good book. And yet, and yet, I have to say, at the same time, there there is a lot in the Bible that that instructs us how to make our better angels come to life. Correct? There, there's some stuff. Yeah, there's uh, you know, love love thy neighbor as thyself. Although, frankly, I don't even think that that's a particularly good advice. Um, it kind of assumes that unless you love your neighbor, you're going to kill them. And quite frankly, I don't love my neighbor, but I don't think that's a very good idea to kill him. Uh, so I actually think that a better piece of advice is love your friends, your family, um, your, your husband, your wife, everyone else. You don't have to love them, but just respect their rights. Don't kill them. And the whole idea of human rights, namely every man, woman, and child has certain inherent rights just by virtue of being a conscious creature that can feel pleasure and pain. You don't really see that much in, in, the, in the Bible. It's a, it's a much later concept. Uh, even in the Bible, the prohibitions against killing and, uh, and theft really apply within the tribe. They don't apply universally. Uh, now, I mean, I'm not singling out the, the Bible for criticism. It's just one sanity check for the idea that hundreds and thousands of years ago, people's moral sensibilities are not as uh, refined as they are today. 
uh, you just used the word our moral sensibilities, then it, it, it would seem that with the enhancement of our moral sensibilities has come an overall decline in violence. And therefore, can we as a people, as a society, engineer that so that our moral conscience improves over time and therefore we see fewer new towns in the future. Is there any way to engineer that? Engineering is too strong because I don't think we can or, or should uh, engineer human souls. But there, there are certain things that we can do to change the odds. Um, good governance, a democratic government that imposes uh, law and order, rule of law under the, the consent of the uh, people, that is uh, a fair court system, uh, effective but non-brutal police force, that's what brings us from the, the world of the Corleones or the Hatfields and McCoys to a civil society. That is, you don't uh, act as your own judge, jury, and executioner when you feel you've been wronged, but you, you outsource your revenge to a disinterested third party. And, and that, of course, wouldn't have necessarily changed any outcomes at Newtown, but but perhaps in, in other cases. That's right. I, I, the, uh, I think we can get misled if we focus too much on rampage killings like Newtown. Now, this is a, it's a media field day, uh, a rampage killing like that. You get weeks of uh, obsessive coverage, interviews of anyone vaguely connected, the amplification of rumors in the, the wake of the tragedy as uh, news networks are starved for any tidbit of information with, with people glued to their sets and, and ready to hit the remote control. Uh, but it gives a, it's a misleading way to think about violence. As horrific as the uh, Newtown tragedy was, you've got to remember there were 27 people killed. Every day in the United States, 45 people are killed. So the, the tragedy happened on uh, you know, a certain day of the week. The next day, 45 more people were killed. The day after, 45 more people were killed. Day after day after day. You don't have round-the-clock coverage of those 45 murders that took take place every day in the United States. And to concentrate all of our violence reduction efforts on the most unpredictable, the hardest to control, the uh, craziest incidents is, a, I think, a misallocation of resources. Yes, we should try to figure out how to minimize them, but if we really want to keep the most people from being killed, it's the, the wrong place to obsess. So I read a little bit about your early life, and it, it almost sounds like those ideas and that viewpoint was formed very early on. Tell us a little bit about your life growing up in Montreal, was it? I grew up in Montreal, Canada, in the English-speaking community, and uh, we Canadians are proud of the fact that we have a rate of violent crime that is a fraction of that of the United States. Uh, there was a, a story this morning in the uh, the paper of the I think I think of as the quintessential Canadian crime, namely the theft of many barrels of maple syrup from a maple syrup depository. So that's that that's our version of crime uh, compared to, uh, to to something like Newtown. But but uh, but but I heard of a, a formative yes, experience on, that you had exactly. But on the other hand, so to what do we owe uh, our our relative uh, peace and law and order? I, I, as a teenager, I used to argue with my parents because uh, in, in the late 1960s, you kind of had to be an anarchist or you, you couldn't get a date. Uh, and um, I said, well, we, the police are really unnecessary. They're, in fact, they cause crime because people have to delineate what property is theirs and what property is someone else's. If, you just, if we all lived in a state of anarchy, we would spontaneously cooperate because it's the most natural and logical thing to do. 
Uh, and the government actually makes things worse by uh, forcing people to declare property. My parents said, what do you think would ever happen if, the, uh, if there were no police? And I said, well, I mean, people would quite naturally cooperate. And they said, no, it would, be, uh, it would be chaos. All hell would break loose. Well, it just so happened that our empirical predictions were put to the test one morning when the uh, police did go on strike in Montreal. It's a, a kind of a Gallic society where every public uh, service sector sooner or later goes on strike. And one day it was the police's turn. And uh, within a few hours, there was looting, there was arson, there were uh, there was not, not one but two homicides until the Mounties were brought in to restore order. So um, my, my anarchist theory lay in shambles, and I had to concede that the presence of, uh, of, a, of a decent police force really is essential to law and order and nonviolence. Did, did that realization and the acknowledgement of it force you into a life of celibacy? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Well, that's the, the congratulations then. Let me ask you then, uh, g- given your insights and um, uh, you know, uh, Vice President Biden has now been put in charge of this effort to figure out a legislative response uh, to the massacre. Give him a set of lenses right now. What should he be looking at? What is, what is in terms of cause and effect, which seems not to be entirely clear based on your study of the history of violence, in terms of, of really focusing on the things that could impact cause and effect, what is it that we as a society and particularly our legislators should be focusing on right now? Uh, frankly, I, I think that it's a, a mistake to focus on uh, on Newtown-style rampage killings. Um, they're a tiny, tiny fraction of the killings in this country. And it's a, there's a statistical reality that anything that's extremely rare is extremely hard to predict. If I were to come up with a list of risk factors for rampage killers, they're, they're, they're men, they're loners, they uh, have a, a history of uh, loss and disappointment and humiliation. And uh, uh, I'm going to come up with a list of thousands of people who aren't rampage killers. That's just in the, the nature of the statistics of a, an extremely rare event. Any test that you put out for rampage killers is going to be mostly false alarms. So, so the Newtown is perhaps a, a, an important time for us as a nation to talk about the issue of violence and how we can reduce it. But don't focus on stopping future new towns because you're saying that's a that's sort of hopeless. I, I think it's a, a, it should be a lower priority than reducing violence across the board. Uh, it, there's rampage killings and um, uh, suicide terrorist acts have a lot in common in that they actually don't kill a whole lot of people, but they generate massive amounts of publicity. That's clearly why the terrorists use them. You, you leverage a uh, small amount of violence and get a, a huge amount of publicity. You think about even the 9-11 attacks, there are 3,000 deaths. is obviously can't be written off, but f- far more people uh, die from all kinds of causes, including violence. There's 16,000 homicides in the United States every year. The wars in Iran and uh, Afghanistan, Iraq and Afghanistan have killed more Americans than died in uh, 9-11. Well, let, let, let me ask you, you know, the, the, when the president spoke the day of the Newtown massacre, he listed a number of recent massacres. And then he also, what really struck me is he brought up Chicago, which has not been the site of massacres, but has been the site of, of, the site of steady gang violence that has claimed so many innocent lives. Is maybe that the type of violence we should be focusing on? Much more. Current? Absolutely. 
because simply because it's it is more controllable. We know that urban violence uh, can be reduced. It, it has happened in places like New York, which used to be almost a national joke because it was so dangerous. Now it's the safest American large city. Uh, and it's we, we save far more lives. We also have to keep in mind that because of the lopsided ratio of coverage to damage that uh, uh, is attracted to rampage killings, that makes it more attractive to the rampage killer, just as the massive coverage of terrorism makes it attractive to terrorists. If you're a small group and you want to draw attention to your grievance, uh, what's the way to do it? Well, you kill some innocent people and you're guaranteed to be on the, uh, the worldwide evening news. Likewise, if you're, if you're a nobody, uh, if you feel that your life is, uh, amounts to nothing, you want to, as we say, make a difference, you want to be a somebody, what's the one guaranteed thing that you can do that will make you famous? And again, the answer is kill a lot of innocent people. Uh, so by focusing so much on these depraved acts, we're uh, inadvertently making it more attractive to the next sicko who wants to become famous at any cost. But but it seems like in this case, you really do seem to be taking that leap to cause and effect to some degree. Whereas in the in, in generally speaking, you're, you seem to be cautious about that. Well, yes. Why, and why would you think there's cause and effect in this case? Um, I think the um, again, I, I should be. You're right that I should be cautious and that um, we don't know on the basis of statistical studies that there is a copycat effect uh, with either terrorist acts or rampage killings. So it's, it's a hypothesis that should be tested, but one that I think is, is plausible. I think that there probably has been uh, something of a rise both in terrorism and in uh, rampage killings in the, since the age of, uh, of uh, television. Uh, and I suspect, but can't prove, that, uh, that one of the reasons they might cluster, if it's not just chance, is that uh, one of them gives the, uh, an idea to another. But it's, it's an idea that we should test. Are you a parent? Uh, I'm a step-parent. You're a step-parent. So, uh, uh, is, your, is your child older or uh, uh, grown? Uh, grown, 20, okay. 20s and 30s. I mean, I guess, you know, we, we who are as parents who are struggling to answer my daughter's question that we started the show with, if the world were a movie, what would it be rated? And as, as you told us, broadly speaking, it's rated G, but there are pockets like parts of Chicago and elsewhere where it is rated X. What can we as parents in our families and communities do, given, given what's out there, what can we do to reduce that rating yeah. and make it a more family-friendly rating? Well, for one thing, we've got to convey the idea the world is not a movie. The world is 7 billion people. It is not, uh, what we see on the news is not the world. It's a highly biased sample of the world. And if I were to identify the one educational mission that our uh, schools and universities should assume, it's to get people to think statistically. The human mind doesn't do it uh, by default. Uh, I, our priorities, I think, get uh, misallocated because we think of the most horrific, the most vivid, isolated episodes. We don't think of the, the uh, hundreds of millions, the billions of people who uh, live nonviolent lives. Uh, we have to focus not just on what goes wrong, but on what goes right, because that tells us what we should do more of, namely what um, is responsible for the fact that most of us are not going to be murdered. Uh, and let's do more of that. And, and, and just for the final question, if you had to boil it down, what is responsible for the fact that there is less violence now than there has been in the past? 
I think there have been four forces that have reduced violence in the world. One of them is government. If you outsource your uh, revenge to a disinterested third party rather than acting as your own judge, jury, and executioner, uh, there are going to be fewer vendettas and blood feuds as everyone thinks there's always a score to settle. Uh, commerce and trade, if, uh, if you can exchange things with your uh, neighbors, then they become more valuable to you alive than dead and it, because it becomes cheaper to buy stuff than to plunder it. Uh, cosmopolitan forces, travel, literacy, media, uh, as the lives of other people become more vivid to us, we think about what it's like to be them. That makes it harder to dehumanize and brutalize them and easier to empathize with them. And reason. If we think of violence as a problem to be solved rather than as a contest to be won, we can apply our collective ingenuity to uh, figure out ways to reduce violence. Well, see, it's that last part that I still get stuck on because have we become more reasoned over the past 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 years? The answer is yes. Uh, that, uh, what evidence? What evidence do you have of that? IQ scores have risen by three points a decade throughout the 20th century, the so-called Flynn effect. So in a very real sense, we're getting smarter. Hard as it is to believe, uh, we are actually, in, in some ways, in our ability to reason abstractly, uh, we are more sophisticated than our grandparents and great-grandparents. I think we largely have education and the uh, penetration of, um, of uh, media to thank for that. Just finally, what can you, given your understanding of the human mind and social psychology, what can you tell the people of Newtown, if they're listening right now, that might help them recover from what is clearly a rare, but for, for them, a very real and horrific experience? Um, I don't think there's anything that I, I could tell them. Uh, I, the, the loss they've suffered is, is uh, unfathomable. Uh, I tried, but I know that I'm not capable of uh, feeling what it's like to be in, in their uh, situation. So the only appropriate response to that question is uh, deep sympathy and, uh, and uh, compassion. There's nothing that, uh, that I could say that, uh, in terms of how rare the event is or the statistical unlikelihood that could speak to the feelings of a, uh, of a parent uh, or a surviving child after a tragedy like that. Professor Steven Pinker from Harvard University, thank you uh, so much for joining us on CNN Profiles. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. By the way, you can find CNN Profiles on our website, cnn.com soundwaves, or download us from iTunes, or go to SoundCloud. And please, if you like what you hear, don't be shy. Share.